Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Bota Worldviews and Albanian Culture podcast with me, your host, Leonita, your Albanian American perspective. Today on the podcast, I have Dorinda Kaitazi. She is Miss New York USA 2019. She's a beauty queen, a model, but so much more than that. I have come to learn that she has a black belt in Taekwondo and that she has a wonderful heart and she uses her platform to help young kids and people get out of domestic abuse situations. Um, So we're gonna probably touch base on a lot of the stuff that she's accomplished. And it's so good to have you on, Florinda, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you? Good, good. Thank Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on this podcast. It's my first podcast, so I'm so (laughs) excited. That's exciting. I'm excited too to have you here. Thank you. I feel like in this world that we live in, you know, Albanian women are coming up, rising more and more. And it's just so great to see, you know, the accomplishments that we have done in all different areas of life. You know, whether it is something like being a doctor or scientist or being, you know, uh, in pageantry or, you know, an entrepreneur or whatever it is. I think it's just so beautiful to see you know, us kind of rising and supporting each other in so many different ways. Totally agree. (laughs) So I kind of want to, I like to always get into like kind of your background since this is very, you know, Albanian centered, Mm -hmm. kind of like where you guys are from, like your family is from and how is your origin story? Yeah, so my mom is from Malazi. She's from Piave Gosinia. I don't know if you know where that is. Um, my dad is from Kosovo, from Pristine, and they, <laughs> are you from Pristine? I'm not from Pristine, but I'm from Kosovo, oh, from okay. Pristine, well, so. <laughs> in Kosovo then. <laughs> um, so they both actually immigrated to the United States when my mom was eight months pregnant with my oldest sister. So we all thankfully were able to be born here in America. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have two brothers and two sisters, so we're five all together. We're a big family. (laughs) Nice, yeah. Are you like in the middle or are you the youngest? I'm smack dab in the middle, right in the middle. So you guys came to the U.S., you were born here. Like, did your parents say like, okay, you know, you got to learn English, you got to do all this stuff, you got to go to school, you got to do everything, right? (laughs) Was that kind of your childhood a little bit? Uh, Yeah, pretty much, except for I actually didn't know English until I went to school. Albanian was my first language. We all spoke Albanian at home. And then um, going to school, it was such a culture shock for me, even though I was born and raised in America. I guess I was in my little Albanian bubble until going to school. And I was like, oh, okay, so I don't understand anything (laughs) that these people are saying. And I just remember I was in ESL for a a while, for a few years, because I had trouble pronouncing some of the English words. Mm -hmm. And I would feel so sad because they'd always come take me during playtime to do extra learning. And I would always feel like such an outcast. And it was so many years of that. But um, now, because I've spoken so much English, we kind of turned the dynamic at home into us speaking English, us children speaking English and our parents speaking Albanian. So we understand Albanian, but we don't speak it that well anymore. But I'm definitely trying to change that. <laughs> I am in the same boat as that. I, that. I feel that completely. Like you said, Albanian was our fir- was the first language, but then you're in America and you just 
just that tongue like of just speaking English all the time is just you know so much easier and then you start speaking it more at home and stuff do you ever get people like say like oh like you don't really know how to speak Albanian that much like why don't you learn better or (laughs) I don't know I feel like there's like always a stigma for us Albanian Americans sometimes all the time, actually, it happens. <laughs> not sometimes. A lot of the time, people just because they know I'm Albanian, they'll just start speaking Albanian to me. But at the end of the day, I feel like we have so many, not, I wouldn't say different dialects. They're not total different dialects. We just say things differently, like, like different slang, I guess. And um, I don't understand what people from Shipney say. They speak very fast and very grammatically correct. And I, there's some words I don't know. Like I actually was on a live um, TV show in Shipney and I was doing an interview. Mm-hmm. I did it in English and they translated because I, I just could not understand them. But they really were confident that I would know this one question. And they asked me what my favorite food is, but they used the term Oshima rather than book and I've always used book at home but I had no clue what she was saying I'm like does that mean tradition and they just started laughing at me oh my gosh <laughs> they weren't trying to meet, be mean right, but yeah it was just funny to them that I didn't know the word and uh well now I know it <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's yeah oh my god I'll be so nerve-wracking to like be like an Albanian tv station yeah. and be like in that moment where you're like um I think I know what you're saying but like I don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you're right with like southern like Shapri and Kosovo Malsi it's like totally different because mm-hmm. my husband's from Shapriya and <laughs> from the south and when I first met him and his family I was like oh my god I I, I don't know Albanian like I have no idea what you're saying but then yeah. I can talk to like all the like Kosovars and stuff perfectly fine so mm-hmm. it was like a, sh- a shock for me I'm like oh my god maybe I don't know what I'm saying, but I think it's just the dialect that that is different, that they don't hear it and they don't understand some words, so. Yeah, for sure. And then on the American side, I have the opposite problem. Um, I'm always told I have an accent and I, I don't hear it myself. I think I speak proper English, but I'm always told I have an accent by Americans and they always treat me like I'm not fully American and then Albanians treat me like I'm not fully Albanian. So I kind of don't fit in anywhere ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy to like that you feel like this as an outsider almost? Like how do you combat that? You just kind of just do your own thing and be like, you know what? I, this is what I am and can't change. <laughs> or... Basically, yeah, it did bother me for a while when I was much younger, like when I was in middle school and whatnot. But um, at my age, I'm 29 now, I've grown to love myself and just brace myself for where I am. If I have an accent, whatever. If, <laughs> if I understand Albanian, if I understand you, okay, cool. If not, we have translator apps, you know, we'll figure it out. It's not a big deal. <laughs> yes, bravo. Yes, I am so down for that. <laughs> I don't like it when someone tries to make you feel like you don't, you're like not at their level or like they look at you like if you go to Albania and they look at you like if you can't speak like you're dumb or like slow when you're obviously you're not is just you just don't have that extended level where they are at like if they come to America you know we're not going to be like oh my god you can't speak English yeah I, it has to do a lot with them um just being in Albania you're only surrounded by Albanians 
It's not, we, we're grateful. I'm grateful to have been born here, especially I'm, I was born in New York City. So it's a melting pot in New York City. I've always been around so many different cultures, so many different people. They like look different and like drastically different from each other. And that's what I'm used to. I'm used to being me being the minority and me being around um, so many different types of people. So I, I think our perspectives are so different from people who grew up in a country where they are just one nationality, they speak that one language and believe that they are like the best thing in the world mm -hmm. and don't um, want to take the time to kind of understand other people the way that we were raised to do in America. Yeah, that's true. You were born in New York, lived in New York, and how is it that you became Miss New York 2019? I actually never really cared to be in pageants. I never thought it would be anything I would do. I was a tomboy growing up, literally like fighting with the boys, trying to prove I'm stronger than them, cr like climbing trees all the time. Like I was literally just in the woods upstate all the time when I was a kid. And um the biggest tomboy, but in 2015, I was, I believe I was like 23 at that time is when I saw a friend of mine competed for Miss New York. And then I, I realized that it was a lot more attainable than I ever thought. I just thought that was something on TV. People had to do it since they were like little babies, especially with toddler and tiaras being out. You think it's literally when they're a few months old, they start. So it's too late for me at 23, you know, but, um, seeing that my friend did it, I was like, hmm, maybe I can do that. But it wasn't for the reasons of like being a queen and glamorous. It was more because I would literally break out in hives when I would do school presentations. I had the worst fear of public speaking. So I was like, if I go on stage in a bikini and heels, and I never wear heels and I never wear like a two-piece bikini anywhere. Like, how can I be shy after that? in front of my family, in front of an audience, you know? So I, I just did it for that reason alone. And the first time I competed, I didn't make semifinals. I didn't make anything. <laughs> I did okay. horrible, but it was a great learning experience for me. It really helped. Then I competed in 2016 and 2017, and I finally made semifinals. So it was like top 20. And that was really cool. Then I was like, okay, this was a fun chapter of my life, but I really want to focus on school. So I, I didn't compete in 2018 and I was aging out as well. So I was like, okay, that's a chapter of my life. I'm going to just close it and move on to the next. So then um, 2019 comes and they happen to raise the age restrictions oh. and my mom caught wind of it. So she was calling me basically every single day tell me you have to compete, you have to compete, do it for your mom if you're not going to do it for yourself. You know how Albanian moms are, yeah. <laughs> one of them non is. So I wound up doing it for my mom. Okay. I didn't really train as, as hard as I did the years before. I was still working out. I always kind of work out, just I'm an active person. I always eat pretty healthy. I cleaned my diet up a little bit, but it was nowhere close to what I was doing the years before. I wasn't going to see coaches. I was just YouTubing things. Just the drastic difference from 2015 and 2019 from the information that was available online. It was crazy. In 2015, when I competed, everything was word of mouth. If you wanted to get a coach, you had to kind of become close with the girl and she'll share with you the secret of who her coach is. And then 
fast forward to 2019 and everything is on YouTube, literally everything. So I just was binge watching YouTube videos on pageants and stuff. So I decided I competed one more time and I happened to win that year and I never even made top five or anything, but I made the whole competition more about making sure everyone around me had an amazing experience and can learn as much as I learned competing all those times. And I think that's what made me feel less nervous. It took like all the pressure off and it was just me really just like, oh, I want you to have a good time, like calming people down and helping them. Like I literally like glued a bunch of people's bikinis to their butts. <laughs> like that's a thing in the pageant world. You have to glue it so you don't get a wedgie hole walking on the stage. It was like literally gluing people's butts and stuff. And it was like, I just helped everyone <laughs> instead of myself. And then I happened to win, which was awesome. That's so amazing. Oh my God. See, like when you let the pressure of it kind of go, you can more free to kind of be like just to yourself and just feel just enjoying the moment, you know, that's awesome. What did you feel like when you got called up there and you were like, you know, your name was called and like, what was going through your mind? You know, I was, I was in complete shock. There's no other way for me to explain the feeling other than total shock. Like I couldn't intake anything at the moment when I was top two and I was holding the girl's hand, I was just like, what, what is happening right now? I just never thought I would be able to win. I literally only did it so I can overcome my fear of um, public speaking and the fact that I made top two, I was like, wow, this is so cool. And then they called my name and I'm like, whoa, wait, what did I get myself into? <laughs> I won. And then that meant I'm auto automatically going to Miss USA. Mm -hmm. I was just yeah. like, oh my goodness, I never even thought this far into the process. <laughs> but it was amazing. Um, it, it took me until the next morning to really absorb everything. And then in the morning, I was just with my mom and we were crying like babies and hugging each other. Mom was probably super proud because she like oh, do this last one too. Takes all credit for it. <laughs> Yay, mom. Yeah. <laughs> so your family was really supportive of like you doing the beauty pageants and getting into that. To a certain point, um, my mother and my siblings were always supportive of everything that I did. Obviously, my brother wasn't really uh, happy with the fact that I was going on stage in a bikini. You know, we're, we were very old school Albanian, <laughs> but uh, he got over it. He's always attended them. You know, he always supports me. But uh, my dad actually didn't support it at all. He told me that I wouldn't win. He told oh my gosh. me he actually my first pageant told my mom it was like look at all these beautiful women you think she's gonna win and um it, it went down the line and then I found out and I was like you know what maybe I might win one day <laughs> well what about now now that you did win like what does he say like is he like super happy or obviously after you uh accomplish things people are always going to be on your side after <laughs> but um that's a touchy topic. We'll get more into it later. <laughs> yeah. So now you're on your way to Miss USA. Uh, yeah. So I competed for Miss USA and then whoever wins that goes to universe mm -hmm. with like Steve Harvey and all that. Um, yeah. Competing at Miss USA. It was a total different experience. 
So as compared to the Miss New York competition, the Miss New York one is a weekend long. So you stay at a hotel, you have a roommate, uh, everybody's eating together in like the huge banquet halls, like every single meal and we're like together. We stay there for two nights, but it's a three day event. Then you go to Miss USA and it's a two week event and you're staying oh. in a hotel flying far away, you know, because it's all of the States. In my year, we were in Reno, Tahoe. So we got to stay there. It was so beautiful. It was amazing. But the only issue is that their elevation is so drastically different from New York. So when I went there, I actually had elevation sickness for the oh. first few days. Wow. So there's definitely things like that. You know, when you compete for Miss Universe, there's so many countries involved. So you're flying to different countries and then you have the issues of the, of the time zones changing and the women have to deal with even more than I did with all of those things. But it was, it was definitely an eye-opening experience because you're then competing with everyone who's kind of in your position. They all won their state competition. They're all amazing women that are deserving of their title which means we're all deserving of the Miss USA title. We just have to prove why we are the Miss USA. And you're just around these amazing women all the time. It can definitely make you feel a little less confident than you were when you walked in because mm. you're around such amazing people. It's um, something that teaches you to be stronger and truly believe in yourself. Like you have to keep reminding yourself that yes, all these women are amazing, but I'm also amazing. You know, and you have to be very mindful of talking to yourself and telling yourself you're also amazing and not just giving everyone else credit. You've got to give yourself credit too. Yeah, because you made it to where they are at the same level. So that's that's a great point. Do you feel like there was a lot of like supportiveness amongst each other or is there like cattiness and like kind of like, uh, you, I'm trying to concentrate. I need to do my own thing. Like, don't talk to me. Or, I mean, I'm sure there was like all kinds of different feelings and stuff, but. Yeah. I mean, there, obviously there's so many different personalities. There's 51 people competing, you know, you can't expect everyone to get along, but for the most part, I've met the most intelligent, strong women ever when I was competing the sweetest people that have done so much for their communities, who have overcome so much in their own lives. And it's really, it's kind of unfortunate that pageantry gets that the stigmas that it gets, because I also believed in those stigmas when I was younger. I really believed it was like this prissy little thing. And, and everyone is like this perfect little girl that gets everything handed to them. And then me throwing myself in there, even it wasn't even for like the reasons that most people compete. I just learned so much. It was really such an eye-opening experience that all these women are, are amazing, strong women that like fought to be where they're at, just like I did. And I don't know, it was just, it was just really an eye-opening experience for me meeting everyone. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that, that you kind of are learning and growing too during that process like you said you had this horrible stage fright of public speaking like you were so afraid to get up in front of people and then you just threw yourself out there and like you gained this confidence and you just like learned and grew as like a, a woman and you know as a person so that's pretty amazing yeah it was really amazing it definitely helped me grow so much do you ever feel, because, you know, being a beauty queen, 
you know, modeling, you're like, obviously you're very gorgeous, beautiful. Do you ever feel like there's like this pressure to like, you know, be flawless or to look a certain way? You know, has that like impacted you in any kind of way? It's definitely impacted me a lot. Being a tomboy, I never really was in the fashion world or the makeup world or anything like that. I started learning how to do makeup a little bit before I started competing because I knew it would be something I had to know how to do or I'd have to just rely on other people. But yeah, immediately after becoming Miss New York, I felt like a tremendous pressure to be full glam, my hair done, so much makeup on all the time. But it was really, it was, everything was just so new to me and I didn't want to disappoint anyone. So I just wanted to be ready all the time, which is very exhausting. (laughs) But it was pretty difficult to overcome the pressures and I feel like I still struggle with it to this day, but I'm definitely working on it. And it has impacted me in certain parts of my life. Like I do have a decent Instagram following and I find myself never sharing any content that I take because I feel like it's not good enough. I feel like, oh, there's this little thing is in the corner. I should have moved it. I'm not going to post it because people are just going to stare at that. Or there is a crack behind me or, you know, things like that. And I need, I definitely need to just chill and just be myself and not care too much about all the little details and just share about myself rather than caring about how everything looks yeah and that's I mean when there's so many of those people following you like I can only imagine to see like all these eyes are on you and you're like you know people are can be rude and you know mean or whatever too and if they don't like something they're gonna point it out Mm -hmm. like we already put pressures on ourselves you know like we point out things in our own selves that maybe we don't like or maybe we want to improve on So when somebody else says it, it's like, what the heck? (laughs) Why are you saying this to me? So I can understand that pressure and it's hard, but I also feel like people that, you know, do have that platform, like to try, like, is there ways to like, try to give more positivity to, you know, ourselves? Cause like, I think of, you know, when you see everything on social media, everything is super you know, filtered or super face tuned or everyone looks just so amazing. And then when you look at yourself, you're like, you compare, you know, to the things you see. And then obviously like celebrities out there that are really out (laughs) and, you know, they've changed so many things about themselves to look a certain way. And I just feel like it brings, you know, pressure to young women, like the young girls, you know, in our society. And I think you trying to make an effort to just be more yourself and kind of show more of your realness. I think that's amazing, but I can also see like why it's a little scary because of all the, you know, feedback that maybe somebody might say something or look at that. Like, why does she, (laughs) you know, do that? So how do you feel like people like young girls can try to still feel confident in themselves? without makeup or, you know, without a filter? Well, I think it's important for everyone to remember that even celebrities are unhappy with what they look like. They have all the money in the world. They can go and probably have gone and gotten tons of surgeries and tons of things to alter the way that they look and they're still not truly happy. And they look at the pictures of themselves fully edited and are at home looking at themselves in the mirror and they feel the exact same way that we do. 
So I think the important thing is for as much content that's out there, that's all edited and fake. We, why don't we just bombard Instagram or all social medias with content that's not fake, you know, then that's the only way that you can fight that battle. People are going to keep putting things that are filtered. And if people just keep putting things that are unfiltered, it's just going to show people that real life is real life. No one looks like all these filtered people on Instagram, not even the celebrities, not even the girls that there, you know, I actually worked in an aesthetic medical office for three years. I was a medical assistant there and um, they did like fillers and Botox and, and we'd recommend people for plastic surgeries and whatnot. And they'd come in with like pictures of, of people that we had as clients. So I've seen the people face to face and they're like, oh, I want to look like this. And then I look at the picture. I'm like, they don't even look like that. They want to look like that too. So <laughs> we really just have to keep in mind that these filters are really altering the way that people see themselves and, and just pump raw natural content out as much as possible. Yeah, that's a good point. I always say this, I'm a very simple like person, like I I don't really wear a lot of makeup. Because I love it and I'm all for it, but like I don't have the right features to like extenuate like certain makeup looks, but I'm all for like makeup and like I'm all for like looking a certain way, like feeling however you want to feel like that's amazing, like go for it. But it's like that ultra extra filtered, like where your face is like almost like a blur. It's like, oh, okay. So yeah, definitely putting out more raw photos out there. That's probably is going to be helpful because the, the kids are seeing it like, and it's scary. Like this new generation, the younger one, I don't even want to know like how they're feeling <laughs> most yeah. days. You know, it's, it's, um, I always thought it was a little silly when I would see these celebrities having children and, and it's a newborn baby and the baby has a filter you know, and I'm like, the, the baby is going to see its childhood pictures. And that's not even what it looks like. It's going to be like, you're just messing with their brains so much. That's um, so sad. That is so sad. Yeah. You know, people do that. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Uh, I thought it was really silly when they were doing it, but then everyone started doing it. And I'm like, wait, did we not all collectively think this was a silly thing? Why are we all doing it now? But I guess that's just how society works. Oh, goodness. Let's let's hope that most of the people do not do that. And let's just keep it that at the 1% of celebrities. That yeah, are seriously. Not the rest of the 90-something percent population. Mm -hmm. So wild. That's why I feel like the beauty industry is such a tough place to be, though. You know, how has it been like with your modeling? And are you still doing some of the modeling, too, since after uh, Miss New York? Yeah, I, I am still a signed model, um, which is fun. It's something that I like to do, but not full time at all. I'm definitely a, a science geek. I really love everything to do with science. Like I love the human body, the human mind, and like down to the microscopic levels to the whole picture. You know, I love everything to do with it. But yeah, I do still model, but it's not my true passion. What is your true passion then? What is it that you kind of want to do? Well, I love science. I have a, a bachelor's degree in forensic psychology, which was really cool. So I got to learn a lot about 
the mind, the human mind and how it works and why people do the things that they do. And it, it made me be able to learn more different perspectives and be a lot more understanding of different situations. But now because of the pandemic, there was so much downtime. I'm like, what am I gonna do with all this time? Nobody needs a beauty queen right now. <laughs> no one really needs a model in the beginning, you know, it was like totally shut down. So I took the liberty of just going back to school. So I'm a post-bac student. I'm doing my last prerequisite this semester. Thank God, it's been such a long journey. <laughs> and I am either gonna go to PA school to be a physician assistant. I would get my master's in, um, in PA or to medical school. I'm Ooh. still on the fence. And it's really just the lifestyle that's kind of uh, putting me on the fence because I would love to be a doctor but I don't know if I could handle that lifestyle at my age now. <laughs> but yeah, that's definitely, those are my passions. And that's what I've always been working hard for in the background. And the pageant and modeling was kind of in the forefront for some time, but it's reversed during this pandemic. That's awesome. Science and that, it's like a really cool field to be, but it's also very hard to do and to get into. So you know, props to you for going for that, because I know it's really difficult. But like you said, it, it pays off, you know, at the end. Is there something about like being a doctor or being a physician assistant that really just you gravitate towards? Yes, kind of. Um, <clears throat> well, growing up, uh, I, me and my family, we went through a lot of abuse with my father. Um, and it wasn't really an easy road for us. And I remember growing up, sometimes my mom, unfortunately, would be hospitalized due to the amount of abuse that she endured. And we'd go to hospital. Well, I wouldn't always go with her, obviously, like she would be in an ambulance. And when she'd wake up, they knew it was blatantly due to abuse. And they would ask her, is it abuse? And she would just lie and say no most of the time my dad was right there next to her and they would just be like okay and their mentality was more like oh if she doesn't want to help herself how am I going to help her and I just feel like that's the wrong mentality for people to have in that situation because it's like when women are being abused most of the time the abuser is controlling everything that has to do with their life especially when you're an immigrant and you're you came here with the abuser and all you know about the country is what they tell you because you don't get to go out into society and work. You don't have friends. You're literally just home taking care of your children. And all news that you get is from the person who is abusing you. They control you financially. They control like who you speak to. You know, it can, it can get really bad, especially in our Albanian community. It's a very uh, big issue that we have going on. But um, I don't know, I just feel like if, if I was a PA or, or a doctor, I would love to work in the emergency room. That's always been my dream. I just love that high energy. It might be because of how I grew up, <laughs> like, like high energy stuff going on all the time. But I feel like if I was the actual manpower in the ER and saw exactly what the flow looks like and how we can instill a protocol where trauma victims whether they're abused or not, just like in general, make it a mandatory thing to give them information on facts of abuse because so many people are lied to by the abusers thinking it's like better for the child's future if they just shut up and endure it because the kid will have a home, will have clothes and food and be able to go to college 
And if they leave that they'll just be in the street and ruin the child's future, which that's not the case. And it's the reason why women lie and say no, that they're not being abused. So if you, you nip it in the butt right there, you get every trauma victim and you just give them that information and keep them isolated when they wake up and whatnot and not have their abuser standing right next to them. You can definitely maybe make a change, maybe not right there and then, but if it happens again, which most of the time it does, they still remember that information from last time. And then you refresh their memory again this time, and maybe they'll feel more comfortable telling you the second time or the third time, but it's better than not giving them any information at all. And them just suffering their whole lives. So that's, that's definitely one of the main reasons why I want to do it. Yeah, that's so wow. That's a lot to pack in. <laughs> um, like, I'm so sorry that your mom went through that and you guys went through that because that's so crazy to me. Like, and that fact that you're taking that and you're trying to go and help others that maybe have been in those similar situations. And, you know, that's your platform where you're standing up against people who abuse and helping the victims. But that's such a, like, a sensitive topic you know just to even hear about it like I'm like oh my god like that's so like ah like it hurts you know yeah but it's 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 needed to talk about and it's needed to you know to speak up and you know people that are suffering silently or you know they just don't know what to do like what can someone do like in those situations right you know, being being Miss New York and even more before doing that, I would volunteer for some like women's organizations that help women and whatnot. And I just never felt like it was enough. I didn't feel fulfilled because it was always for the women that already took the first step. You know, they took the first step of admitting that they're being abused and telling someone and trying to get change in their lives. And that's what all these organizations pretty much do. But it's like, what are you doing for the people that are being silent? You know, there's in America only, this was in 2019 when I was competing for Miss USA, there were 900,000 abused children, let alone adults in in America, 900,000. That's almost a million people. So um, I don't know. I just felt like their voices are not being heard. So I'm going to just speak up and I'm going to, never close my mouth. (laughs) Like Albanian people always say I have a big mouth because I I will not close my mouth about this uh, topic. And I will just keep talking about it and not only just talk about it and volunteer my time for these organizations, but I'm going to make sure that I, I make mandatory protocols to improve the situation for the women that are not speaking up because they just need the information. Like it's literally just a lack of information that is preventing them from speaking up. So I just want to be able to share it like in any way I possibly can. And I think things like supermarkets and emergency rooms are definitely the way to do it. Yeah. Those are good places to definitely get that material out. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, is your mom and like your family, like in a good place now, like after everything? Yeah, um, we're actually in a really great place now. Um, It was uh, definitely a hard time getting out of the situation, but we did get out of it. Um, 
the way that I actually started realizing that it was abnormal because I grew up thinking everyone had these problems at home, but we just didn't talk about them when we went to school. That's what I thought. I don't know why. I think it may have to do with me being very isolated. I, I went from school to home. And if I was with anyone, it was my cousins who were also getting abused by their parents. And it was just always a family thing that we kept quiet and we were, someone spoke up about it. I was like, oh, that happens to me too. Like, come on, that's normal. So when we went to school, we just thought it happened to everyone and you just don't really speak about it. You just mm -hmm. deal with it at home. So when I started competing for pageants, it really opened my eyes because of how it's a, a weekend long thing. You're in the hotel with your roommate and you're having every single meal in these ballrooms where there's like 12 girls in each table. And overwhelmingly, everything I would hear was that their parents helped them get there, helped them pack their bags, uh, like we're calling them and, and texting them motivational things. And it was like, wait, so people normally get treated with love and respect and they don't get hit and put down all the time. And it was such a new thing for me. I just always thought that was in TV shows or in movies. I didn't know in real life. So um, yeah, I started noticing it was very common for people to not be abused. So the way I started standing up was with my own family. I, I went back home and I started sharing everything that I learned with my mother. I was like, mom, this is not normal. And obviously she knew, but she always hid it from us. So after a while, when I started getting a hunch that she knew everything was not normal, I, I started realizing, I was like, okay, I think the only way out of this, because I did try having conversations with my father and whatnot, never worked. So I was like, the only way out of this is if my mom divorced him. I think that's the only way that we would have a positive outcome, unfortunately. Obviously, Albanians, we love to keep the family together. Sometimes you have to do what's best for the whole, the bigger picture. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, I assured my mom I would be by her side every step of the way. If she wanted to divorce or whatever she wanted to do, legally separated, anything that she wanted to do, I would be by her side and I would fight with her until the end. I told her I would stop everything that I'm doing and I will help her. And eventually she agreed. And it was the worst time of my life, to be honest. The process was extremely difficult. I remember wishing I never opened my mouth and that I just maintained like the status quo that we had before because it was something I was comfortable with. And, and the fight was just so difficult. It was, it was literally worse than all the years of abuse that I endured before that. But something in me just kept telling me to fight and fight and fight. And I did. And I didn't give up. And after all the dust, so to sort, settled, um, we were able to start just like thriving and not surviving anymore. And that's when I saw we were all creating new healthy relationship dynamics. And it was just like amazing to see how much we grew in such a short amount of time of not just being pressed down and, and made to just be in your spot and not speak and do what you were told. Just like the I became Miss New York. My sister became like the director of a hospital. My brother opened up his own company. My mom was like, lost uh, like 50 or 60 pounds. It was like the craziest thing. Everyone, it was like, we just, someone took a blindfold and took it off of us. It was wow. a drastic change. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's great that you kept fighting, you know, like 
you did not say like I'm gonna take I'm not gonna take this anymore and you just it was probably like you said harder to to you know go through that process but then the end you made it and like it was the best thing ever it really was but I think it's very important to touch on the topic that it it really is, especially because this is an Albanian American podcast. And I know this is a highly prevalent issue in our society that when you decide to take that step and, and change your life, it is going to be the hardest step ever. It really is, but you have to just keep going. You can't just be um, content with being in the same position you were in. You have to just keep going and just keep fighting and you will get over it and it will be the best thing you ever did in your life. Yeah. Oh man. That's so wild. Like, I don't know. It's crazy that this happens, like you said, to that many kids and that many people, like sometimes I'm stuck in my own little bubble of just like, Oh, you know, I'm like good. Like nothing, you know, like I feel like, lucky that I've never had to deal with some things like that so I'm always like stuck in this like little bubble of mine where I'm like super naive about everything because like maybe I haven't experienced it but like when I think about it and I'm just like oh my god like this is real like this is real life and like it sometimes it scares me like because I don't know what to do like as an outsider you know like how can like people on the outside kind of help in that way you know, I've been kind of out of this situation for like five, six, seven years now. So even I find myself getting into my own little bubble because I have created such a like little safe haven for myself. And um, I catch myself being like, oh, well, you know, things are not that bad. And I need to stop myself and be like, no, things were horrible. And things are still horrible for a lot of other people. <laughs> you know, like you can't um, just dissociate yourself from from the rest of the world and I mean I think a way of helping is just making sure you you like hear your friends out if your friends are trying to kind of open up to you but it is really difficult because at the same time it's not anyone's responsibility but your own so you can't try to make yourself feel guilty because you don't constantly think about that all the time it's not your life how you said and and people have to take charge of their own lives. So you shouldn't feel guilty. But if you did want to help, obviously, this podcast is a great way to help our society. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just, I don't know, just like sensitive. Like I get so like, oh, like I just like freeze up. I don't know why, like sometimes. And I think a lot of people feel like that when they hear like the stories of like real people and whether it's this or like some other kind of traumas that people experience and stuff. But um you know, you've been through a lot, like at a young age, you've experienced a lot, you've come on top, you know, you've fought through a lot of things in your life. And, you know, it kind of led you to where you are now. And it's amazing to see because, you know, you're so bright, you have a great heart, you are beautiful, you're like, you have so much, you're smart, you're trying to get into, you know, go back to school. And, you know, hopefully one day, either be a doctor or a physician assistant and it's amazing to see how do you feel like or what do you want young girls looking up to you kind of to know or advice that you have for them you know it's it's a little difficult for me because I didn't grow up in the era with like technology in my hands to do stuff now during the pandemic like 
like I said, this is my first podcast and I'm trying to get myself into that world. But before the world shut down, I did a lot more. And um, so I would, I made sure I would go to a lot of Albanian American events while I was Miss New York. I, I made a commitment to myself. Once I won, I was like, okay, my story, I know it's going to help a lot of Americans as well, but I just know it's so much more prevalent in our society. So I had to make a commitment to myself to attend as many events as I could that were Albanian American events. But when you go to these events, you're basically like following what the coordinator tells you to do. Like they tell you when to take pics, when you can go to on a bathroom break, where to stand, when you can speak and, you know, and the whole day just, or night or whatever, just escapes you. It just flies by. And I remember the first one that I did, there were so many beautiful little Albanian kids in their traditional clothing and all of that. And it was so cute. And whenever they'd come close to me, their parents or the coordinator would just shoo them away, like not to bother me. And I remember at the end of the day when it was done, I was like, no, I wanted to speak to the kids. And I just, I, I didn't know what time it was or anything. Everything just happened so fast. And I felt so guilty that I didn't take the time to speak to the children. So after that, I made it a point to stop everything at an event. I didn't care what was going on, what they were trying to tell me to do. I stopped everything. And I made it a point for them to see that I stopped all of the adults, you know, because I myself don't see myself as an adult, even though I'm 29, but I had to put myself in their shoes. And I'm like, no, to them, I'm, I'm a full-blown adult. And um, I made it a point for them to see that I, as an adult, stopped all of the adults to kneel down, this girl with the shiny crown, kneel down, grab their hands and looks them in the eye and speaks to them you know, and makes them feel like they are seen and heard. And I would let them ask me questions and they would ask me like, oh, are you a princess or (laughs) uh, things, silly little questions like that. And I would just ask them like, are you a princess? You're so beautiful. You, I think you're a princess. And it would just make them so happy. And, And then I would ask them like what they wanted to do in their lives and whatever it was, I would tell them that they could do it. Don't let anyone tell you, you can't, you will find a way. And I think just being there and like looking them in the eye and just like really holding their hands and and giving them that moment of acknowledgement is, it was so important to me because I didn't have that growing up. I obviously always had my mother, but you know, she was an oppressed woman. So it, it wasn't like she can, she couldn't like do much to help me. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to be this person because I know all these children here are not getting that at home. Not that every single one is not getting it, but there's at least one person in this crowd that doesn't get this at home, doesn't get this at school, doesn't get this wherever they go. So I'm going to be the one person that's going to make them feel heard and make them feel special. So my voice can be in their head, having them fight for what they want for the rest of their lives. And, you know, everyone needs like at least that one moment, you know, for someone to make them feel special. Yeah, that's so true. That's amazing. Like Thank you. that you do that. When I tell my daughter that I talked to you and you're like a miss, you, you know, miss New York and that you had like a crown, she would freak the heck out. Oh. I'm like, oh my God, you talked to a princess. like she's that kind of person that really sees like she's only five and she's like mom the other day she told me she's like mom I'm gonna be 
first, you know, she has all these things that she wants to be. She's like, I want to be a dancer. And then she's like, I want to be a singer. And then she's like, I want to be Miss Universe or like she wants to be like in the pageants. I was like, oh, I'm like, yeah, you can be whatever you want. And it's just like, that's why I'm so happy that like there's people like you that are, you know, showcasing the realness and like, you know, allowing kids to be heard and allowing people to be heard and that everyone has something to say so that when she, you know, looks up to you and sees you and she's like, oh my God, I want to be like that because she's going to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. you're yeah. gonna see people that are out there so I'm so happy that like you're telling your story here and hopefully when she hears you're actual like talking and not just you know the picture that it's like that deeper connection of trying to be you know a good person and not just like to look a certain way which I think is so important and I love that you're yeah. doing that with your platform Thank you. It's definitely more, more real feeling when, when I do something like this and the thing that was preventing me from becoming more of a social media, I don't even want to say influencer because I'm not trying to like influence people to buy something. I'm, I'm trying to influence people to care for themselves, you know? And pictures really don't do that. And for so long, I just would have my pictures on Instagram because these these events that I go to, I made sure people felt uh, like special when they were around me. And I I I felt like my my actual interactions with people face to face had more weight than anything on the computer could. But this pandemic has definitely opened my eyes to the fact that we, we do need to do stuff more on social media. And I could reach so many more people than having these one-on-one interactions, which I still love and I hope yeah. we can do again soon. Yeah. But um, it just showed me that I can still do things from home and I don't have to always rely on the one-on-one interactions. Do you feel like you, since like after you became, you know, Miss uh, New York and doing the modeling and getting such a high following, like people see you and do you feel like people have changed the way they react around you or treat you? Like maybe people that, you know, you know how people are, they change around you when they see that you're maybe like something, you know, famous or whatever, like have you experienced that? Especially like, I feel like Albanians are very... Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I know exactly what you're trying to say. Um, I yes, I, that definitely did happen. I know I I wasn't treated that well by the Albanian community before I won Miss New York because I don't speak Albanian that well because I don't like I know how to dance the volib. I don't know how to do the shota and all that fancy stuff in the middle, and I would get judged so much even though I remember I would always have this issue and I would tell my mom, I'm like, every time we go to an Albanian event, like all my distant cousins and stuff who don't go to school, don't like really have their priorities in line are praised at these weddings because they can dance well. And I don't know how to dance, but I'm over here getting straight A's and everything, doing all these extracurricular things, volunteering all the time. And they make fun of me, like the older people make fun of me. And I'm like, really? Like, you don't even know what is really going down with these girls. You just think because they dance, they're they're nice girls, but whatever. And I also... uh, I've been with my fiance for about 10 years now. 
And we just didn't get married because then I wouldn't qualify for pageants anymore. But we always, we treated each other like we're husband and wife, you know, we live together and um, we, we have a very close bond, just like a husband and wife would. And it was literally as simple as I would not qualify for pageants. That's the only reason why we didn't get married. And I would get stigmatized so much for being a girl that is living with her boyfriend and all this stuff. And after I won, all that stuff went out the window. No one cared anymore. It was crazy. It was like, wow, you guys were so mean to me for all these years. And all I had to do is just put a crown on my head. And now you guys don't care about those issues anymore. It was, it was definitely pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so wild. Ugh. That's, I, that's what I hate about like so much of the stigma that people have around us and not us. I mean, like Albanian Americans and like that, you know, you um, Albanians in general, like, oh, I just got to look good. Like if I look good, if I'm this, like I have this facade, this like just showing you what you want to see kind of thing. And that's like more important than like what you're actually doing, like your schoolwork or, you know, accomplishing something like bigger than that. I think it's so important. But I think so too. (laughs) And I feel like sometimes even personally, I always felt like a, like a black sheep almost in that way too, because I wasn't always like super like dressy up and you know, like, you know, when you go to a wedding and you have like your whole updo and stuff, you know, when you see like the girls like at weddings and, you know, those nooses and you're like, oh my God, when I grow up, I'm going to have like, I'm going to be all done up and I'm going to look like that. Mm-hmm. And then I grew up and I got married and I was like, I don't, I really don't want to do an updo. <laughs> like, yeah. I really just want to wear like a simple dress. I like really don't want to wear like this crazy beaded thing. That's like a thousand something dollars. Right. So I don't know. I think some people look at me like, oh, you're really not that Albanian. You're just like really Americanized. So it's always like this. That's the stigma that I always feel like people always say like, you're too Americanized. You're like not Albanian enough because like I don't do like those traditional like I don't look maybe like traditionally like Albanian. Right. And I just like it sucks. Like when like I feel like that, I'm like, God, why do I have to feel like I have to prove myself to this like right. to the community? Like that's the thing. Like just like feeling like you have to prove yourself. Yeah. No, I totally understand um where you're coming from because I feel the same way, especially I was I never wore makeup and wore sweats all the time. When I would attend a wedding when I was younger, I literally just threw on a dress and went. Like I did nothing to my hair. I didn't even like shave my legs or anything back in the day. It was bad. But um, you know, it's really they're not even really traditions. Those are not our traditions. Those are new things that have come about and people are trying to force as a tradition and trying to make people who have their priorities straight feel like they are wrong. But at the end of the day, I don't think we're wrong. I think people who buy things, like I know so many Albanian girls that will literally starve themselves to buy like a Chanel bag and they're all about their outfit and their bag and their their uh, Christian Louboutin heels and it's like and then they're super in a basement and I'm like why didn't you guys like save your money not buy those things and like invest in a property or something you know like invest your money somewhere send your kids to a better school you know how I always felt and 
and becoming Miss New York and being kind of thrown in. I threw myself into the Albanian community. They, they uh, were, they grabbed me with open arms for sure. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I just want to help these Albanian people. But um, when I got into it, I saw like, I was such an outcast and everybody was calling me weird. And I'm like, wait, I think you guys are weird. <laughs> you know, so. I have this funny story that happened to me not that long ago um, with the current Miss New York. I took her out to, we were out to dinner and we were talking about, uh, she was about to compete for Miss USA. So I was giving her little pointers and whatnot. And an Albanian friend of mine was like, hey, I'm in the city too. She saw like my Snapchat. I was like, oh, come hang out with me. And I was like, okay, I I brought the other Miss New York with me because I thought it would be awesome for her to meet her because I feel like Albanians, once an Albanian kind of achieves something, they they lower the bar. Instead of being like, oh, Florinda won Miss New York, so let's put her up with the Miss New York title. They're like, ah, Florinda won it, so it's not that cool, you know? Oh <laughs> and that's how oh, yeah. are. Yeah. Um, so I was like, all right, it would be really cool if she met a Miss New York that's not Albanian, because then she'll see how how cool it really is. And um, I brought her, I brought her over, we were talking, the Empire State Building was in the background. So we thought it would be really cool to have a picture of us with the Empire State Building behind us, you know, two Miss New Yorks, the Empire State Building. So we go to do it. And I just left my bag there. I had like a Adidas book bag or something that I wear every day. I didn't feel like switching to a fancy bag for this quick little dinner so I just left my bag and I got up for the picture and the girl was like, oh, wait, you need to take your bag and like grab my bag and saw it and was like, oh, here, take mine instead. And she had like a Gucci bag. <laughs> and I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, take my bag for the picture. I'm like, but why? She's like, you need to, you need to have a good bag for your picture. I'm like, no, I don't. This picture is a picture of me and the current Miss New York, not her bags. She's like, mm-hmm. oh, but don't worry, it's Gucci, just take it. I'm like, no. I'm not getting it. <laughs> Why are you stopping everything and making a scene out of a bag? And now it's like embarrassing, you know? And um, I, I was just so caught off guard that she cared so much about a bag, but there's so many people like that. They, they will literally use all of their money to buy clothes and stuff to look like they're successful to other people when like let your money sit in the bank in like a CD account or like invest in a property you send your kids to private school you know like do something good with your money like why does it matter if you have a very expensive bag on your shoulder that's not doing anything for anyone I agree completely and I used to fall like into that trap too like when I was in my 20s because I would see all the people like my friends and, you know, people like out there, like on on social media. And I'm like, oh, like, that's the thing to do to get these like expensive shoes and super expensive bags. And at the time, obviously, I'm going to school and college. I'm like broke as a mother, <laughs> you know, and but I'm like in my head, I'm like, I need that to like to feel like that, you know, to feel special. Mm-hmm. So in my 20s, like I would always think that I'm like, I'm going to save up. I'm going to do it. And then I met my husband and he's like super low key, super chill. Like he's from Albania too, but like he just doesn't care for like labels or like anything. He just like, 
you know, do you like if you want to do it, like that's fine, like get whatever. But he's like, you don't need to. And but you know, when you're at that age and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna get my first whatever pair of shoes. And I did, and I it was like thousand dollars I dropped like for a pair of shoes. And I was like, oh, this is so amazing. I feel so good. Like, ha ha ha, look at me. Now mm-hmm. I'm like 30 with two kids. And I was like, oh, I was so stupid. <laughs> what the hell was I thinking I was like and then my husband always tells me do you want to buy like for a birthday or anniversary do you want me to buy you something like a purse or I was like oh hell no I was like do not even like don't even get me there I'm like I am never buying like an expensive item ever again because like I feel like I could use that money for something better like something for my house something for my kids like you said like something that actually adds value like that's my personal opinion And I'm sure like there are people out there that just that's what they like. I mean, that's fine. But it's like you have to reevaluate like important. Like if you're breaking the bank every week or every month and like you're paycheck to paycheck, like don't buy, like stop, (laughs) like don't even think to buy it. Now I'm much older and I thankfully have become more successful in life. And I was like, you know, let me treat myself to, you know, that thin Gucci belt that everybody and their mom has. I was like, it'll be cute if I wear it like with a black dress around my waist. I was like, let me just treat myself. I never get myself nice things. And I bought it and I go home and I put it on and I just kept laughing at myself. I just couldn't take myself seriously. And then one day I wore a black dress and my fiance is like, oh, why, why don't you put the belt on? And I just like looked at him and I'm like, I don't know, I'm embarrassed. And um, I went and I put it on and looked at myself in the mirror and I just couldn't. And it's been sitting in my closet. I just can't even see myself as that like type of person that has to wear like, bam, it's right here. Everyone look at it. You know, it's like right in your face. And this new trend where everyone's like twisting their bags in a way where it's like right like right here or something it's like look at my bag you know it's like not don't look at me look at my stuff Mm -hmm. and I just um I I can't do it I cannot get myself to do it I feel so embarrassed when I when I do put something on like that (laughs) yeah that's so funny oh my gosh I like that though I like that you're just like super chill and natural and like you're like, this is what you're getting. Like, just look at me. (laughs) Did you not come to see me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, I'm sure there'll probably be like haters out there. (laughs) They'll be like, how dare you? I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, we talked a lot, a lot here. (laughs) This is, this has been so cool. Like where do you see yourself like in the future? Like maybe do you have, I know you kind of talked about, you know, the school thing and becoming a doctor. Like, where do you see yourself maybe in the next five years or so? So um, either in PA school or in med school, hopefully done by then. Start a family, get married. (laughs) Yes, for sure. So the, the reason why I'm on the fence is because PA school is a lot more intense than medical school because it's condensed. Um, medical school is intense, of course, on its own, but it's a longer period of time that you're there. So then even after you finish medical school, you have to continue and do fellowships to specialize in your field. And I'm like, wait, by the time I finish, 
then you're also working a hundred hours a week when you're like a fellow. So your quality of life is not fun at all. So I'm like, by the time I finish, I'll be closer to my forties, which means that uh, pregnancy will be more high risk. And that's very scary to me. So if I did the PA route, it would be uh, about two and a half years. Then I would just go straight into becoming a PA and I have the option of working like five days a week or three days a week. And my schedule is very predictable. And the things that I am responsible for at work are very predictable as well. So that way I would be able to have kids sooner. So I don't know if I do the PA route in five years, I might have kids. If not, it might be a little later. <laughs> I would say do PA. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm leaning so I've actually worked because um, I worked in healthcare for a long time because by trade, I'm like a dietitian. Oh, cool. But so I've worked with like PAs, doctors, physicians on all of that. And honestly, like I've always seen the PAs, like they pretty much do everything a doctor does. <laughs> like they yeah. can prescribe, they're like really good. But like you said, they have better hours. You know what I mean? Like they have more of a structured schedule. Mm-hmm. So, Their lifestyle is just so much easier yeah. to have a family. And these are things men have never had to consider in their lives. And then here's little old me. I'm like, wait, how many years can I, can I go to school for now? I have to like limit myself because I want to have children, you know? And um, I have a feeling that I might, if I do the PA route, I have a feeling that I might even go back to school later when the kids are older to be a doctor anyways. Cause I know I have that drive to want to do it. Like, I really, I know I can do it, you know, like I get straight A's in all of my classes. Like, I know it's not a hard ride, but I know I can do it. Yeah. And I'm just limiting myself only because I want to have happy, healthy babies. Yeah. And I've seen people like on social media where they're like in med school and they're like pregnant, got pregnant and had a baby. And I'm like, whoa, like props to you. Like, that's amazing. But yeah. it's of extra work you know on definitely top of- a lot and they they also are not the person who's taking care of their child all the time and you know that does happen some people are forced into having to leave their kid at like daycare babysitters in-laws or whatever the case may be but I really want to raise my own children like if I corrupt them let me corrupt them my own way you know <laughs> No, seriously, I really want to take care of my own kids. I feel like if I'm bringing a life into those this world, it's my responsibility. It's not my mom's. Like, it's not for me to say, hey, mom, every Monday through Friday, nine to five, you need to take care of my kids. You know, that's not fair for her. She took care of all of her kids already. She needs to enjoy her life now. Mm-hmm. So I just, I feel like I really want it to the responsibilities to fall on me and be able to focus on them rather than juggling a million things. Cause I did do that. I have juggled so many things in my life in the past at the same time. And you just don't give everything your, your full efforts. You don't accomplish as much as you could have yeah. if you just focused on the one thing. And I don't want to mess with my kids' lives. <laughs> Girl, you totally understand that. Cause like, I'm a, I'm a working mom, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> And like, I have to do that. Like I take my kids to my mom or my mother-in-law. And like, sometimes I think, like I tell my husband, like recently I've been saying this a lot more (laughs) where I'm like, I want to be a stay-at-home mom. I don't want to work anymore. Like, why can't I stay home with my kids and just raise my kids? You know, like I always say that. And then, you know, 
you know obviously everybody has different situations like some people just can't like they have to work or whatever but I don't know like it's been something that it's been eating me lately it's so crazy like because my kids are five and two and they're still young and like I'm like I want to be there for them like you said like I want to I want to be the ones to tell them like do this do this way and it's hard it's never going to be like a easy answer or like a best answer is just or like a right answer is just going to be whatever is going to be best for you and your life where you are now so so holding up how to be a stay-at-home mom but like that's a whole nother story <laughs> yeah it's definitely if you could like just be there with your kids that's the most purest thing in the world I feel like and if you have the ability to do it it's amazing but life you know life is life (laughs) but a lot of people I feel like nowadays are they also say like oh what do you do all day like you're just at home yeah you know it's like you can never win win. (laughs) you can't win for (laughs) whether you work and they're like oh you don't take care of your kids like you don't raise your kids and then you stay home like oh what do you do all day you just stay home all day it's like always these like stigmas and these pressures that people put on us it's so messed up (laughs) Yeah, it is, but we have to, to be a woman. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, all we can do is just try to live our lives. And I think that's all we can do. Um, do you have any other like insight or like words to like the listeners today? Um, I just, I, I think like just really driving the same point home about how my success wasn't easy at all. It was not an easy road, but it's not, not feasible for people. It's, it's something that people can attain and you literally just have to put your mind to it. And, you know, me growing up, I had to go against everything that I was taught as a young Albanian girl. I was taught to just like, from everyone, like everyone around me, from my my dad to my siblings, because we were so brainwashed by him and like my not immediate family and stuff, everyone around me told me that I just needed to not speak. I need to keep my mouth shut. I need to just do it at what I was told. And anytime I did something outside of that, I was wrong and I would get in trouble. And you know, this was my life for so long. And it was all people that that I loved and I cared about and I thought had my best interests. And, you know, you, you just have to really believe in yourself. Don't let people, no matter how close they are to you, tell you that you're not worth it or you're wrong all the time. You know, you separate yourself from the people who are putting you down, no matter who they are. Does not matter if it's your mother, your father, if these people are putting you down, you have to separate yourself from them. And um, you just really have to put yourself first. And I'd recommend that people like create goals and like set your heart on it. And if you don't think that you deserve the position that you're striving for, how are you gonna convince your interviewer that you deserve the position? They know you think you don't deserve it. So they're like, this person doesn't deserve it. But if you work towards it and you complete every task that needed to be done to get there and you tell yourself that you deserve it, you don't even have to do much speaking because all your actions just 
over Trump everything that you would say. Like you don't have to convince everyone because they see that you truly are that person that should be in that position. So just really believe in yourself, take care of yourself. When you decide to flip that switch and care for yourself first, everything is going to change. And don't feel like you're selfish. That's a big thing in our society where you're made to feel selfish if you care about yourself first. But you cannot help anyone if your glass is empty. You have to go fill your own glass up first to be able to pour it in other people's glass. So self-care is caring for others as well because you're going to help people at the end of the day. You're going to help so many more people than you could when you're not taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Clap towards to all of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is so good. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Florinda, for sitting down with me and telling me about your story, um, everything that's going on with your life and how you made it to the top of where you are and always striving and keeping moving forward. It's just so amazing to see someone like you just being true to you and just succeeding in all the different ways that you do it's so beautiful thank you I appreciate it I had a really great time (laughs) where can we connect with you if somebody wants to like connect with you or um, anything so they can either reach out to me on Instagram and I will see it I do check my other folder all the time so I will see it please don't send me stupid things. <laughs> if you guys really need help, I will help you. Um, and you can also email me at M-I-S-S-N-Y-U-S-A-19 at gmail.com. And I will respond either way to the Instagram or my Gmail. And um, I'll also leave some links out into the uh, description on the podcast episode. So you guys can take a look at that and connect with her with if you want some inspiration or get to talk to her about what she's done and anything like that it's amazing that like she's open to like you know get these questions and stuff so it's a really great opportunity if you do have something to send out a message to her awesome thank you so much this is so good you're so sweet and i love this whole conversation Thank you so much. It was an honor to be on my first ever podcast with you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are um, or if you know somebody that is dealing with any kind of abuse or trauma, please reach out and you can even call a free hotline whose number is 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. The number in Albanian is Nya Tet Zero Zero Stot Non Non Stot Di Tre Tre. And you can also visit an online website called thehotline.org to get resources and more information on ways you can get out of your situation and get help. The website is spelled T-H-E-H-O-T-L-I-N-E dot org. Thanks so much. Take care, everyone, and I'll catch you guys next time. Bye.